Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. Hey, we're going to jump straight into it. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, we're going to find our passage of Scripture that we're going to learn from, some of the dynamics. But first and foremost, we do thank you for coming out tonight in the storm. We delayed our start by five minutes because we knew that would impact your arrival. Um, and, uh, and you're here. And, and I feel like because you're here, uh, there is a reason and, uh, and God is, is going to speak and encourage our hearts this evening. So we're, we're landing in a really powerful story in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In, in Luke chapter 9, a few passages earlier, he says, I've set my face as a flint toward Jerusalem. Because he knew at the destination of Jerusalem that would mark the end of his earthly ministry where he would go before all the government and be put on a cross, charged up a hill, nails pierced through his hands and his feet, wearing a crown of thorns pierced through his side. That would be the place of his crucifixion. And so it says, he set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. And everything that follows that particular passage is on his way to, towards Jerusalem. He knew what was about to take place. And so there's an intensity there. There's real meaning there is that the way that he walked, where he walked, who he encountered, how he ministered, what he said, and the love that he shared. And so we find this scripture in Luke chapter 17. It says, Jesus reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. This is verse 11. And as he entered a village there, Ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. First and foremost, this is a border town. It's between Samaria and Galilee. It's, it's a no place. It's for nobodies. And it, it's a border town where Jesus is ministering. And ten men who were, had leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. That's all he said. And they were obedient to his commandment. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Just the, the, the faith and the power of the word of Jesus. And that speaks to a lot us today. When we hear a word, step out on, in faith. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Moments before there were 10, but now there's one. What has happened to the other nine? Jesus asks three prominent questions. Didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? And has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, a Samaritan? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So much in this particular passage but so much is left out. Um, and so we're looking at our series of being thankful. And when I was asked to preach, uh, I was thinking, what's a particular passage that I think of when I think of thankfulness? And it is this particular passage here in Luke 17 of the one leper who returned. Of the 10, 
of the crowd of what culture might say, 90% missed out on the further ministry of Christ, but one person received the full blessing, the full anointing, the full whole salvation found in Christ. And I want my life not just to run with the crowd, but I want my life to return to Jesus constantly to figure out what more does he have for us. And it comes with an attitude of thankfulness. And so we're going to look at keys, dynamics, observations within this text that we can draw from in our own lives that takes us on a journey of going into deeper levels of thankfulness in our own lives. So the first thing is, let's if we look at some context of this story, because it is so important to unpacking the power of why this particular person went back to Christ. It's a between location. It didn't have a welcome sign. It's not in your lonely planet guide. This was a place where the down and outs, the ostracized, the marginalized, those in the shadows, those in the sidelines, those who are outcasts of society found some form of comfort. Now, it didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile or Samaritan, that reputation made no impact whatsoever. Normally, Jews and Gentiles and Jews and Samaritans would avoid each other at all costs. But in this particular border town, this little shanty town, it's not the people group you belong to, but the brokenness that defines you. And they found great comfort in this little village together. Samaritans, Jews, Gentiles, all together because of the company of misery. And as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem, ten men come and speak to him and yell at a distance. And it was a melting pot of brokenness. And we can see all in our world today, all areas of brokenness. You go and you go traveling and you've got those rich, beautiful esplanade resorts that you stay in. And then, and then you go for a five-minute journey and then it's a completely different world. And, and, and Jesus is walking through this slum and he finds these people in this melting pot of brokenness. And they had leprosy. So leprosy, what does it mean? It, well, it has a phys- it's a physical illness, a skin condition, obviously. And uh, some commentators would say, but it's, it's death by inches. Death by inches. And uh, it would slowly, your skin would ulcerate. And then it would calcify. And then your fingers, for example, were full of ulcers and it'd be putrid and foul. And then all of a sudden it would close over so it'd be like a claw. And then later on, uh, limbs and uh, extremities might even fall off and you had to have your, your, your um, clothes torn. They were wailing and tearing their clothes. They had to have their head uncovered. Um, they had to cover their mouth and they had to yell, unclean, unclean. This is by law uh, as they're walking through the town so people could step back and avoid them at all costs. And so they found great comfort being in this little town where they were ostracized and they're away from the very towns, the very families that once accepted them. And Jesus here finds himself at the brink of their brokenness. And it highlights the point, what's the brink of our brokenness and what does Jesus want to do with it? 
And so we go on, and not only does physically does leprosy have physical ailments that is massively societal ailments, uh, one commentator says it's like living in the netherworld of society's fringe where they rot away. Living in the netherworld. So it's just this place of nothingness. You know, in those movies when they get sent to the netherworld, never to return. Uh, for months, years, and maybe decades, these people... I've only found comfort in the arms of others and, uh, and so it's incredibly detrimental. They were once family members, once brothers, once sisters, once sons and daughters and now they are on the margin of brokenness. And then it has spiritual conditions. The first part is that le leprosy is a picture of sin as we now read it. It is a condition that separated people from their family and their community and it separated them from a place of acceptance of identity and of sonship. And we know in the Bible that sin has taken that effect on our own lives where the spiritual state of our sin has separated us from the family, the love, the comfort of God and now we are at a distance, we are on the outskirts, we are leading and walking down a road that says death, sin, the grave. And we walk in shame because of the sin that we carry. And, and, and so this story is a story of us. Just as much as it's a story of the ten, it's a story of us as the congregation. It's a story of the one. It's a story of us as believers. And I want to pose the question tonight, will, it, will, will we be a congregation of the one? Because that is the statistics. There's 100% of, of uh, participation in this story. And 90% go a certain way and 10%, one person, returns. And Jesus highlights this and gives them so much more. And, and there is so much more in the kingdom of God for us. And so the Christian life is not just about getting our sins saved. The Christian life is not just about praying a certain prayer and we are on our way. The Christian life is about returning to Christ constantly, daily, through the pain, through the trial, and returning back to Jesus because he always has more for us in his beautiful, plentiful, immersible kingdom. And so there always is a place where Jesus enters the picture and always changes the narrative. Praise God. Amen. And uh, thankfulness turned this person's life around forever. And so I just want to talk about three things that thankfulness does in this story and three things that thankfulness can do if we were to adopt them in our own lives. So the first one is thankfulness changed direction. Thankfulness changes direction. In verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus. And so there was a point where they were off to the priests, they were off to get ceremonially uh, cleansed. It was an eight-day process in order for them to return to their families and their communities. And so they were off and racing. They were thinking about the families that they longed to be with, the wives that they may have left, the children that they want to see now play again. And they were going back to the very communities that have ostracized them. And so they're on their way back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, where the priests 
will judge them clean and they'll go through an eight-day purification and, and then away we go. They were on their way. It's a good day. Ungratefulness is not a part of this story. I think they were all grateful. And so all ten were off their way, but it came to a point where one was captivated by their gratitude. He stopped and he thought and he was so in awe of what has taken place and they saw that they were being cleansed as they walked and he looked down and his must have like that baby Johnson's kind of look, the talcum powder and Nipey's moisturiser and he's like 96 but he looks 42, you know, like that's what we always joke. Um, and, and, and their skin was glowing and, and he saw himself and he saw himself as fully as a state of being whole for the first time in maybe decades. And, and he looked down and he was just like, wow, what is happening to me? And it came a point where he had to consider walking with the crowd or parting ways and turning back. And he was so captivated by his gratitude that he turned. Thankfulness turns you back to the direction of Christ and places you before him constantly. And this is so important for our lives today that we, even though the crowd, even though there's movement, even though it's exciting, even though God's doing amazing things, are we the people that stop, reflect and turn back to the very person that gave us the miracle in the first place? Or are we so enamored with what's next, what's new, this is going to change my life, this is going to be different, I wonder what my friends will say, and then we constantly go to the next thing rather than the very thing that has set us free, and we turn back to Christ. So thankfulness always changes your direction. It'll change your prayer life because... Often we come to God with our supplications, with our requests, and we say, Lord, I have this, I have this, I have this. But when you start thanking him for the testimony that's already gone, when you start thanking him for his promise, when you start thanking him for his goodness, man, that'll change you, and that will place you at the very feet of Christ. And you won't be worried about what's next, you'll just be in awe of who he is. So thankfulness changes direction. First time I've preached with paper for a long time. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at. Okay. <laughs> so the word out defined this man. He was outside the city. He was hung out. He was wrung out. He was left out. He was cast out. He was out of money, out of luck, out of home. And Jesus steps into this and changes him from being an outside story to an inside story. And, uh, and it all became because of thankfulness. And then number two, thankfulness changes distance. Now, you'll notice that these three points are alliteration. Now, it's my spiritual gifting. I'm blessed, <laughs> I'm blessed to be a blessing, people. Um, and uh, that's just what the, the burden of the Lord that I, uh, I'm being faithful with to give to you. Um, but thankfulness changes distance. I want us to notice the power in this story about the position at the start and at the end of this story. In in early on in uh, verse 12, it says, They stood at a distance, which was what law required them to do, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, have pity on us. 
They saw Jesus walking and his disciples and they stood as a distance, which is customary, and they yelled out in a loud voice, Jesus, have pity. And as Jesus addressed their need, they walked away and this one person came back and he was yelling at a distance again, not with pity, but with praise. And he came back praising the Lord. And where does he end up? He ends up at Jesus' feet. Have a think about the distance. At a distance, they were yelling, Jesus, have mercy on us, to being at the feet of Christ. And no longer would it be reduced to a loud cry of pain and of anguish and of desperation, but he could actually whisper to Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus would have heard every single word of his heart cry. And this is what thankfulness does. It, it, it changes the distance of intimacy between us and God. And when we don't necessarily have a true revelation of God's love for us, the impact of his dynamic resurrection life in our lives, we can feel like we're yelling at a distance. God, do you see me? Do you hear me? Where are you? And we feel like there's this vast chasm between us and God. But when we are thankful for his sonship, for his love, for his wholeness, for his, for his word, for his cleansing, we can now come boldly into the presence of God and kneel at his feet and stay at his feet and worship. Even a whisper, he leans in and he hears it and he says, you are welcome. This man hasn't touched someone for years, potentially. Months, years, decades, we don't necessarily know the dynamics and the facts of this story. But what we do know is the very first person that he could touch after he was cleansed. He could go and touch people, touch family, whatever it might be. The first person he touched was Jesus. And this is what thankfulness does. It allows us to touch the very heart of Christ. It allows us to draw close in worship. It allows us to hear his heart. It allows us to come boldly into his presence. It allows us to understand the nature, the beauty of his love. And we can stand here and say, I was once at a distance, but because of your great kindness, I am now brought near. Thankfulness changes distance. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ. It's a picture of sort of leprosy and sin at the same time. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship to the covenants of the promise. You were without God and you are without hope in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul had a true a revelation of the love of God and what it does for us. And if we see it in our own lives, that we were once far away. We were once at a distance. We were once separated. We were once away from his family. We were once outside the city walls, away from everything. But because of God's great love, we have been brought near. We who were once far off have been brought near by the love of Christ. We were once who were in a darkened place, a darkened state of our souls, have now experienced the light of Christ. And thankfulness changes the distance because of what Christ has done. The third one is thankfulness changes the destiny. 
And wherever and whoever and whenever Jesus encountered somebody's love, somebody's need, somebody's life, everything always changed. The hand of God moved and people and circumstances were changed forever. And we see in Scripture that thankfulness here is a part of that saving grace because it comes back and says, Lord, I'm thankful so much for who you are, for what you've done, and I come and I worship at your feet. And Jesus says, hey, while you're here, while you're here, I want you to get up and I want you to experience the fullness of my love, the fullness of salvation. It says, rise and get up. Your faith has made you whole. Or salvation today has come into your house. Salvation today has now made you complete. The others got their cure, but you got your salvation. And so often we come to God with our needs and our petitions and God's just like, do you want the full measure of my love? Now that you've got that distance covered, you're not far away, you're right here before me. Can I share about my love? Can I speak to you about your destiny? Can I speak about the fullness of the promise? Can I, can I share about my Holy Spirit and how I'll never leave you and forsake you? That he will always be your counselor and your guide. That even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff will comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Can I tell you about the promises that I have for you? Promises that are for today, for tomorrow, all the way leading into eternity. That I will always have my love ever present, ever filled. That there's an extravagant that I have for you, an extravagance of love, a depth of uh, intimacy that I will never take away from me. And you can draw from it, draw from it like living water, things that will sustain you. You'll never have to thirst again from the things of this world, from, from money, from relationships, from work, from status, career. You'll have to have me to ever be your source of guide and comfort your truth in a world full of lies. You'll always have me. Can I talk to you about that? Jesus changes everything, but it comes because of thankfulness. Jesus was always willing to give. He's not withholding of his love, but it was only the one who returned that was able to access all of this because of Christ. And so there is a responsibility on our end to chase down everything that the kingdom so has for us. A desperation, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. The, the longing of your soul will be complete when you come to Jesus. The priest was waiting for them to announce them healed. And after eight days, they would be welcomed back to their communities. I just think that this one person didn't see the priest over there in the temple as the person who could give him access. I think he saw that Jesus was the high priest and he saw Jesus for who he was and he bowed down and worshipped him and he thanked him. He said, truly, you are the son of God. I give you my whole heart. I give you everything. I'm going to stay here because I don't need that one person over there to be my priest, to give me access, to give me cleansing. You are my high priest that has made me complete. And this is the state of our souls that we can come to Jesus who accepts us, who loves us and makes us complete and says that we are whole, says that there is more. 
He changes the very destiny that he has for us. And if the, the team want to come. So is this a story of 10 being held whole, being healed by the power of Jesus? Or is this story a story of one being made whole through salvation? What's the greater miracle? All through scripture, Jesus was presented with different issues by different people. Think of Mark chapter 2, the this healing of the paralytic. They broke through the roof to get to Christ as he's teaching in Peter's house. And, and Jesus looks at them dropping a man through a roof. And obviously they knew that Jesus could heal their friend from being paralyzed. But Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And they said, no, no, we came for the miracle, not for salvation. You know, and, and all through scripture, Jesus highlights the very state of our soul being the very primary miracle that drives him. And the love of Christ that has been shed for us, put, been put on display for us, surely should get us to a place of being incredibly thankful for what he has done. And Jesus asks three questions. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus expected all ten to return. It's almost like you get a hint of disappointment in his voice, don't you? Like, ten percent? One out of ten? And, and so he's he's sort of addressing this inwardly discontent in his own life, this spiritual disappointment, because he's so willing to give of himself and so much willing that people would take up the greater miracle than just the healing of their body. He was interested in the salvation of their souls. Wouldn't you return back to me and I will offer you so much more? And in rushing ahead... As the nine did, and I'd sort of take pity on the nine. That's, that's the majority vote. <laughs> They're not ungrateful. They're just on to the next. Excited, caught up. And so too can we. We pray, we get a breakthrough, we get an inkling of a promise and it's just like, cool, God, thank you, what's next? And so then, then it's, they didn't have ungratitude, which is the opposite of thankfulness. They just didn't really stop, pause and reflect. And because they didn't stop, pause and reflect, they didn't have the ability to turn around and go back for like a double thank you. I love it when my daughters give me a double thank you. You know, give them an ice cream at Macca's Oh, sorry, my wife's here. Um, uh, take him to uh, Boost Juice and give him a... No. It's like they, they, they get it for the first time and they lick it and they go, thanks, Dad. And then they kind of just hold eye contact after a little while and you see the satisfaction in their eyes and all the drippiness and my little one gives it to me and it's like, you know when the... I'm rambling now, but... You get the point, but when the, when the waffle actually goes soft, 
starts like molding the shape of your fingers and you're there to like and you give it back to her and you know that you've just swapped something nasty and she's just like thank you <laughs> that just gets me going I'm sorry but like but it's like a double thank you and, and this person came back and and um and so I just want to look at uh Four things, really quickly. I won't hold you up any long, but four things that place us in the 90%, that place us in the majority. And they all start with the same letter. It's my spiritual gift, you know, blessed to be a blessing. Okay, the first one is cleansing. They got their cleansing, they got their needs met, and that was enough for them. And, uh, and so I've seen so many people over the years in youth ministry, in church, and they come and they pray and they get what they prayed for and they got that boyfriend or they got that girlfriend and you never see them again. They got that career, they got that destiny, they got that job or promotion, they got that bank account and that was enough for them. And they got, they got their needs met and they carried on. They got caught up in the crowd. The next one is common. It's common. Like God wouldn't perform naturally in a supernatural way, would he? This is just coincidence, or this is just through hard work, or this is me just being faithful in my job. And we sort of reduce this kingdom of God just to that of merely common. Like, uh, surely God can't be in that. It wasn't really fanciful. It wasn't fireworks. I didn't get those feelings. God's not really in those moments. And that can kind of reduce our level of thankfulness in returning to Christ, yeah? There's a story of Naaman in the Old Testament and he had leprosy and Elisha the prophet told him to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and he's just like disgusted by that. He was outraged that a prophet, a man of God would tell him to do something so simple. He says, well, we've got these other rivers, they're more beautiful than the Jordan River. Surely if God was in it, he'd want me to go and bathe in those. And then they said, well, Naaman, like if it was something great, would you have done it? And he, would have, and he said, yep. He said, why, why not do it when it's the word of the Lord? And, and, and so he went back and he dipped seven times in the Jordan and he was cleansed of his leprosy. But he was so outraged that it looked so common. He was so outraged that it looked so simple. It's so outraged that it didn't look like, you know what I mean. Then, then the crowd, we get caught up and enamored with what the crowd are doing. We sit with our friends at church, not having a go at anyone. You're the ones that are here, gosh. And, um, and I just say, well, I'll put my hands up if my friend puts my hands up. Or I'll go forward if they go forward. Or, you know, I'll get excited if they get excited. You know, like, and we just, we're social beings. And we kind of tend up doing with what the crowd do. And then we're captivated by what's next. Get excited. What's next? All right, what, what have you got back for me, Lord? Like, when's my next opportunity? When can I get that microphone? Or when can I get that promotion? What's next? What's next? What's next? And we don't stop and think back to the faithfulness that God has got us on and the character that he's building and the fruits of the spirit that are at work in our lives and the people that we've encountered and the places and the people and the words that have been ministered by his love. And we stop and we don't stop and go back to him, right? And so it is my goal, my goal, to be the one. 
And I know that these other four things, the crowd, convenience, the next thing, reducing it to common, I know that they can creep up and sort of steal the very core of coming back to Christ in thankfulness. But I want to be the one. And I believe that in this room, there are people who want to be the one. And I just believe in the next few moments of time, we're going to play this song, Gratitude. I just want us to have a heartfelt expression of being thankful and returning to Christ. That the distance has changed. That the direction that we have is not just moving forward to the next thing and caught up in business, but we turn around, we stop, we reflect and we return to Christ. And then our destinies will change because as we sit at his feet and understand the immense love that he has for us, he will speak to us words of promise, words of life and words of his love. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.